Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Good morning. It is wonderful to see you here. Glad that some of you found the way around the uh, wreck and back up on uh, 44. Hung up out there and hopefully they can make it this way for too long. There's just sometimes things you cannot control. And you know what? Uh, God understands what we can control and he understands what we can't control. And uh, sometimes we just have to wrap our heads around that. And uh, yeah, Ben, I'm with you. We need to make sure that we remind people of this uh, friend and family day. Uh, this passage starts off, see the first word? Remind. God knows we need reminded so much that on the first day of every week, he has us remember and proclaim the Lord's death until, because he knows if we give any more time. And we have a hard time sometimes staying focused through the week. That's how come Wednesday is so important, right? Helps us refocus. Uh, the more time we can spend together with Christians, isn't that amazing in Acts 2, as soon as about 3,000 souls obey the gospel and are baptized into Christ and added to the church by Jesus, uh, they came together every day. Uh, so the more time we spend, I will say, went up uh, to the lectureship on Thursday and Friday, heard some very excellent lessons. If you didn't make up for any of that, you missed out. Uh, but anyway, that was a great time. Got to see some people I don't get to see real often. Uh, but anyway, it was good to be able to be with them and see them. And I did get a report from Kelvin and a few others about a couple of young men that uh, was over at North County Wednesday night. Uh, Kelvin and them, they've been good friends of mine a long time. So uh, anyway, you can't run around much of anywhere. I don't hear something about in a little while. So. Uh, anyway, uh, this text is so important. And the part I'm really going to spend the most time, maybe not the most time on, but I want to give real significance to, be ready. Be ready for every good deed. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, when I think about being ready, I think about a lot of things. So I try to think about things that maybe help me at least recall what being ready is about and you know usually how ready you are has is determined by how important you think being ready is so i'll tell a story first of all i'm going to tell two stories before we get into a lesson now both of them about bear hunting first one tim and i was on it together uh up in manitoba canada and we go up there and we hunt some bears, and uh, but in between, in the middle of the day, we went out and uh, they got a prairie dog problem like lots of cattle ranchers do, and they hate prairie dogs because prairie dogs make holes in their pastures, the cattle step in the pasture, break a leg, so they hate them, so they want you to kill everyone you can kill. Well, so we go out there with uh, bows and arrows and we're shooting prairie dogs somewhere around 40 yards. And... Um, the guy says, wow, man, you guys aren't going to have any problem with bears. You know, there's a little difference of shooting a bear with a bow and arrow than a prairie dog with a bow and arrow. 
You know, I have yet to worry about a prairie dog getting worked up and coming, throwing me to the ground and tearing me to shreds. Um, but still, it's a smaller target, but it does add a new concept of, of bow hunting something that can do you serious bodily harm and you get right up close and personal to them. And so you think about that. So you practice. If you don't practice, you're foolish. If you don't know the anatomy of that bear, you're foolish. If you don't read a little body language of that bear, you're foolish. People say, well, if you bear hunt with a bow, you're foolish. But anyway, you know, you've got to be ready. Now, to tell you to another story, which maybe goes a little bit more extensive than that, was um, years ago when I went uh, to hunt a grizzly bear with a bow and arrow. And Randy Tyler backed me up with a rifle. He was a deacon at uh, the Valley Church of Christ where I preached at that time. And I knew I could count on Randy. I knew he wasn't going to bail on me. I knew he was going to stand tight no matter if he's got to get attacked with a bear along with me. So I, can't, I knew he would take care of it. I knew he would do his part. And I still remember we stopped in uh, at Coldfoot, Alaska, which is the furthest north truck stop in North America. And we ate breakfast there, and Randy says, okay, Kendall, now my question is, how close do I need to let this bear get till I'm going to squeeze off around? Let me explain to you something. We're hunting the Alaska Oil Pipeline Corridor. It's illegal to discharge a firearm within five miles of that pipeline. So if we have to shoot that bear with that gun, we don't get to keep him because he was illegally harvested. Now, if he attacks you, you have the right to shoot him, but still, it won't be yours. So I didn't want that happening. So he says, if he gets within 10 yards, now me not thinking this is going to happen, I said, I don't know, he might be within 10 yards. He said, oh, 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 I said, if he's chewing on me, I don't want to hear you didn't have a clear shot, shoot one of us. <laughs> you know? I'd rather a 300 wind mag take me out than a bear chewing through my skull. But just to let you know, that bear, to make a long story short, that bear was seven yards away from me when I let the arrow fly. Now, you better be sure about the anatomy of the bear and everything, and you want to make sure everything works right. And nothing went wrong. I can tell you more stories about it. It was quite a deal. But you've got to be ready. You go into situations like that not being ready, it can cost you your life. And so you kind of got to have a little idea of what goes on. You know the Bible, and they're not that way, but the Bible tells you you need to know your enemy. And the enemy's like a roaring lion. I've never hunted lions. I've seen them even when I was in Africa, but I've never hunted them. But, you know, you think about it in the days and age they were hunting lions. Uh, they were doing it with spears and arrows and no firearms. That added new uh, idea to the game. Well, you think about it, if you're not ready, a lot of harm can come to you. So be ready. But first he deals with something I think is also important we need to hit on today. Be subject to your rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and that obedience to the rulers and the authorities. Oh, boy. Do we sometimes have problems with some of our leaders and people in authority even in the United States of America, let me make sure you know something, nothing like they did. I'm telling you, nothing like they did. And that isn't meaning that I don't think we've got some problems. If we had time, I'll give you some passages that you can go back and read on your own. We won't have time to get to them today. I won't get to the main points of what I'm going to look at. But Romans 13 
1 through 7 tells you that you're to be subject to the government. Wow. Subject to the government. Jesus would even tell us that we need to pay taxes where taxes are due, right? And he even says, what? Who's on that coin? Well, Caesar was on that coin. So if Caesar wants all the money back, guess what? It's his to start with. Boy, it's hard for us to think like that as Americans, isn't it? If the government wants to tax us 100%, what? Now, we live in a different society in that we don't have a king that gets to make all these decisions. We have something called the highest law in our land. It's called the Constitution of the United States of America. And so I always hold everything in line with um, that authority, just like I hold everything religiously in line with the authority of the New Testament. And so you look at that. Now, what about, though, sometimes what the government says to do can be contrary to what God says to do. Well, when it's contrary, it goes against what God says. God says one thing and the government says another. Well, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 tells me that the rules of submission is God the Father, Jesus Christ, man, even before God. But man's down the list of ways. That doesn't make it nevertheless the President of the United States, the United States Supreme Court, the Congress, House of Representatives, whatever. They're all way below God. Okay? So if God says that, I'm bound to it. And let's say the government decides you can no longer partake of communion on the first day of the week because that is a hate crime and says everyone who doesn't is kind. So you've got to stop that. I'm going to break that law. I'm going to break the law every first day of the week. Let's say they go something more realistic. Let's say as our culture moves along that they say, Kindle, well, say you too, but you can no longer preach from passages like in Romans or 1 Corinthians where he says even homosexuality is against nature and that those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't say that anymore, Kendall. That's a crime punishable by uh, confinement in jail and prison and a fine. Well, I guess you're going to have to find me and incarcerate me because i got to preach what the Bible says. Don't tell me I can't preach what the Bible... I've got to preach what... Now, let me make sure you know, these people were being jailed and imprisoned for preaching the gospel. It was real. So we look and we see that. So, but when it doesn't... It's in does, has God ever set a speed limit law? You can't travel faster than two mules can travel. No, he doesn't have any... So, countries can determine their own speed limit. As a Christian, am I to keep that speed limit or can I just run a little over? Now, the speed limits, sometimes, you know, you travel way out west, and, you know, I'm Kansas boy originally, you get out there on I-70, once you get past about Topeka, man, uh, there's nothing for the next 300 miles but flat road. And you can see anything coming for miles. So it seems like me, we ought to be running 120 miles an hour out there. It would be reasonable. But that's not what it is. There's a speed limit. I love cruise controls because it keeps me legal. So just set the cruise, we're rolling down the road. That, that law doesn't bother me so much, but seatbelt laws, I wear a seatbelt, but it still rubs me the wrong way. Um, 
I don't understand how you don't have to wear a helmet on a motorcycle, but you got to wear a seatbelt in a car. So there's things that just, well, just don't make any sense. And if I don't wear a seatbelt in a car, who's that harm but me? But anyway, it's still the law, so you know what? I put the seatbelt on. You know what? Because I'm a Christian. I'm a law-abiding citizen. That's what the Bible would teach. There's other passages, if we had time, we would go to. The one I mentioned about taxes and Jesus saying, if you want to write it down too, it's over in Matthew 22, verses 15, 16, and 17. And in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, he talks about being subject to the kings. Well, we don't have kings, but we've got presidents and vice presidents. And Do you have to like them? I don't have to like them. But the Bible would also say, and this is where we have a problem in America, we think our rights as Americans succeed the instruction of God's Word. It tells you not to speak evil against them. Oh, we've got to watch that, don't we? Now, I can speak evil against decisions they make that are contrary to God's will, and I even know uh, a little bit about tax laws and churches being tax-exempt. And I know by law, it's illegal for us publicly, for me up here, for us publicly as a church, to back a candidate. That's illegal. We can do it, but we lose our tax-free status. So that costs about 30% of our income. So you just be real, about every three weeks, that contribution will go to the state. Okay. But I can talk about platforms of political uh, parties. I can talk definitely. Let me make sure you know, abortion is not political. That's moral and ethical. I can talk about it all I want. That does not mean I cannot talk about same-sex marriages because that's not political. I get so mad when they say this is a that's not political. That's a moral and ethical subject. I can show you right in the Bible. Uh, whether or not you would exterminate, I'll choose my words, exterminate unborn children is not political. That's moral and ethical. And so I don't, I believe as a gospel preacher, I not only have the right to preach about those things, I think I have the God-given responsibility to preach about those things. So we know how we must, I didn't say need, I want to use the strongest word I have, need's a good one, but must vote when we have those opportunities. And so we, they didn't live in a country where they got to vote. Isn't that silly if we have a right to have some kind of input and we choose not to. And so we have to think about those. So that's the first thing he gets into in the passage here, uh, even in uh, Titus chapter 3. you got to remind people you've got to be law-abiding citizens. You know, I don't like paying taxes. Anyone here like paying taxes? No. But we do get some benefit from taxes. Now, I didn't say they spend the money always the way I would want to. What about when they spend my tax money on things that I don't agree with? Well, you know, once I pay my taxes, which is my God-given responsibility, what they do with it is their responsibility. And so I have to realize I still have to pay the taxes. 
and I have to sound off every time I get an opportunity. But well, let's go on with the passage here, because it's a point I really want us to look at. If we had time, we would spend more, and I could spend a couple sermons in that for sure. But he says at the end of that verse, be ready for every good deed. You're going to live in this godly fashion as a law-abiding citizen, being obedient to the laws of the land that are not contrary to God's law, and you're going to be ready for every good deed. You're going to be ready for it. Ready. You ever played that game, hide and seek? Ready or not, here I come. Ready. Ready for it. Now, when I think about that, I think about some other passages of Scripture about being ready. And I wrote down a bunch of them. No way will we cover all of them. But I think it's so important how many times the Bible says, Christians, listen to me, brothers and sisters, we need to be ready. We don't just need to be ready for one thing. We need to be ready for lots of things. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 13. The point I want to make is in verse 15. But he says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? I already know that. That's a rhetorical question. No one. No one on any real level. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... Oh, I could turn back in Timothy. All who live godly will be persecuted. If you happen to, if you should suffer for the sake of being righteous, you are blessed. Doesn't sound like a blessing, but it's a blessing. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Don't let people keep you from doing what you want to do and what God wants you to do. Sometimes people will stop doing godly things because they don't want to run into this person or that person. Don't let them keep you from doing what God's called you to do or what would be an advantage you. Tell them like it is. Let them know. Stand strong. Be bright. If you do, then they win and you lose. Don't let them intimidate you. They don't have anything on me because I'm one of God's children. I'm part of the family of God. So you look on, he says, but sanctify. What a great word. It does mean set apart, but it means more than set apart. It means you set it apart for a purpose. So let's say you go back there, and it's time to uh, share a meal, which we do every Sunday. And so they, we let whoever birthdays and stuff, so this time we let them go first. And then we usually try to be gentlemen and let the ladies go after that. But let's say one of our favorite desserts over there. So we go over there while they're going through and getting food. We go over there and get us a piece of whatever it is. And we take it to a plate and we set it aside, set it apart for a purpose. We didn't just set it apart. What if you just set it apart and you set it up on top of the refrigerator and when we get back next Sunday, it's still setting up on the refrigerator. You set it apart and you wasted it. Okay? So set apart doesn't mean just to set it apart. It means, sanctify means you're going to set it apart for a purpose. So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You're going to, Lord, that means he's our boss. We don't use that word much anymore. You're going to put the Lord, he's going, Jesus Christ, now is who I serve. I'm going to figure out what the Lord wants me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And then he says, so I'm going to sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart, and I'm, uh-oh, what's that word mean? Always. Always 
always. That's pretty easy word to understand, isn't it? Always being ready. Always being ready. It's hard to always be ready, isn't it? It is. Always being ready. And then he says something here. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. So he talks about the attitudes you have to have of gentle and reverence. Sometimes those are hard to muster up. But when people ask you, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why are you this way? You've got to tell them. You've got to give them the book. You've got to be ready. Well, I don't know where it says it. Well, learn where it says it. You know, you've got to know it. And I know what it takes to know it. It takes going over it and over it. And, over. and the more serious it is to you, the more you remember it. You'll remember what it is if it's serious to you. And so you've got to be ready. It takes practice. It takes practice. It takes practice. You've got to keep doing this. The more you share it, the more you go over it, the more important it is to you, the more likely it is you'll And I can illustrate that easy. You know, dates. Dates of things. If you ask me the birth dates of my grandchildren, I can probably most time get you in a month. There's ten of them. I don't remember all their birthdays. But I remember Tammy's birthday. I remember the date of an anniversary. See, there's important things that I you're not going to forget or you're not very bright, okay? So you look at that, you say, and here's what you say, I'm not concerned about your anniversary or Tammy's birthday. Yeah, because you're not me. But you look at that, so we gotta be ready. So I gotta be ready to make a defense. I gotta be ready to be heard. I gotta be ready to be stand, stand up. I gotta be ready to tell people what they need to know. And then I think about another one that's so important that I'm not even going to take time to turn and look at. I thought about even keeping it to the end. But in Matthew chapter 24, 42 through 44, at the end of time, you better be ready because you're going to give a defense for who you are. You're going to be answerable for all you do. We've got to be ready. I think passages like 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 is important to me for sure. We need to be ready to preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. says we need to be ready to preach. Now I think about that. So let me back up to something we said. So let's say the government does say something silly, contrary to God's Word, which I'd be lit up about. It says, Kendall, you can't, if you speak against homosexuality from the pulpit, definitely if you put it online, that's a hate crime, and we're going to arrest you. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to preach on it. So let's say, here they come and arrest me. Next Sunday, what needs to happen? One of the men in this congregation need to stand up and speak about the same thing. And when they arrest them, what needs to happen? The next man. And when we run out of men, what needs to happen? Women are going to ask, her, and it needs to go down to every one of them. So it doesn't just get to be the bald-headed preacher got to take the hit for everybody. That's not how that works. It says we've all got to do that. We've always. I get tired of people says, "Well, I'm in a workplace. So I'll say what I want to say where I want to say it every time. They are not going to hold me, and if it costs me whatever it costs me, I am going to proclaim the truth of God, even if it costs me." Because it caused Jesus' life on the cross. 
you want to look at the horrendous beatings. Tammy and I was going down the road yesterday and listening uh, on a CD, and we got to 2 Corinthians. We were in the last five chapters, 2 Corinthians, listen to it. And that's where Paul gives that list of that horrendous treatment he received while he was here on this earth. Wow. Why? Because no matter what the government said, you're going to have to quit saying that. No, I'm not. I'm saying it no matter how many times you stone me, no matter how many times you beat me with rods, no matter how many times I've been shipwrecked, I've been in the sea. Can you imagine that? I've been in the sea a night and a day. Can you imagine that? You're out here holding on a piece of wood for a whole night and a day. You pretty much figure you're a goner. Wow. You think you might be praying and trusting in the Lord? Then you can't swim that well. I think about how important those things are. We've got to be a prepared person, a prepared people. We have to remember that. Turn with me to a passage. We're going to look at just a few of them. Turn with me over to uh, 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, that tells me it's important to read all what come ahead of it, but I don't have time. Prepare your minds... For action. Action. Is this action? That's not action. Action is movement, right? You've got to prepare your minds for action. You've got to make up your mind you're going to do it. You're not just going to sit here and think about doing it. That's not action. Sometimes people prepare and never move. No, you're preparing yourself so you can act upon it. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. we got to be, the church has to be people of action. People that do things. They don't just hear it. They do it. Let's just, there's still some of those back here. This here. What good does it do if we print all these off and all they do is set on a table back there and we show them on Sunday morning? They were a waste of money. You and I, that's next week. You and I need to make sure this week we're inviting people to this. Now you can think about it and talk about it and pray about it. You should do all those. But you've got to act on it. Now here's one thing I know. Let's say I, and I'm going to ask a bunch of people, but let's say there's people that I ask to come to it, and they show up. But I didn't show up because I go crappie fishing. Well, Kendall asked me, where's he? Well, I don't know where he's at today. Huh. Do my actions speak louder than my words? you got to prepare yourself Prepare your minds for action. So definitely we got to use them, but we got to follow up. we got to be who we claim to be, and we've got to encourage other people to follow our example. We've also, I think, about passage after passage, like uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. We've got to prepare ourselves to share. Well, we mentioned 2 uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We've got to be prepared to preach. Uh, we got to be ready. Even look down here, since I'm still over here in First um, Peter. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, 
uh, in these things which now have been announced that you through those who preach the gospel to you in the Holy Spirit sent him from heaven which into which the angels long to look. We've got to remind those people and we've got to show them what they are and then he says prepare your minds for action. We've got to remember what Jesus has done and will do for us. Now I want to hit a couple other passages before we uh, tie this all together and the lesson will be yours. Turn with me to a passage we know so well. I'm going to turn to it though because I might jump back a few more verses. But go to verse 31 of Romans 8. Look at the last phrase there. It's so simple, so plain. If God is for us, the question is, who's against us? A bunch. That's who. There is a bunch against you if God's for you, but the point is, if God is for you, it doesn't make any difference who's against you. What if you're a shepherd born a slingshot, and this guy's a mountain of a man with a sword and a shield, and he is a warrior of warriors, he's killed all kinds of people, and you've got to go battle him. Well, if God is for me, Goliath is no problem. If God is for me, the walls of Jericho is no problem. If God is for me, it doesn't make any difference who's against me. If God is for me, let me make sure you know, I win. The victory is mine. Even here in Romans 8, he would tell us that we are more than conquerors. We don't just win, we blow them out of the water like no one's ever seen before. It, you know why? Not because I'm great, because he's great. And whoever's with, let's say, God forbid this ever be the case, but let's, you and me, let's just say the only person on God's side, you say it's you and I say it's you, the only person that stands with God is me. Everyone else on the whole planet is contrary to God. Man, I don't stand a chance. What do you mean I don't stand a chance? If, I'm, if I stand with God, even if I'm the only one to stand with God, you know what? I still win. So it isn't determined by a majority. This is no majority vote. If it does, one time a person says God owns 51% of the vote, I think God owns all of the vote. There is no vote. What God says goes every time. And so God says... If I'm for you, it doesn't make any difference who is against you. And isn't it interesting, even if you back up a little bit there um, in verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good. And people stop there. No. To those that love God and those, uh, excuse me, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you love God, what's that mean? If you love God. Well, it's pretty easy to know who loved God. Jesus, did Jesus say, if you love me, what? John 14, 50, you'll keep my commandments. Do those who love God, do they keep the commandments that are found in the Bible? Yeah. If you do that, will everything work out to good for you? Yep. If you love God and you're called according to His purpose, that means you accepted His calling, you put on Christ in baptism, you live according to His plan, then it's going to work out for good. It doesn't make any difference if people kill you like they did Stephen. Stephen's been blessed ever since. 
Now, it doesn't promise all this blessing on the physical level. Today, in America, the health and wealth doctrine seems to be most popular right now. If you're a Christian, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. So any of you that have any physical ailments, it's just because you're not very faithful. What? That's what they preach because God promises if you'll follow his will, you'll be healthy. Well, I know he doesn't promise that because I can show you all kinds of people. The sermon we're going to get to, Lord willing, this afternoon, Paul even talks about the problem of his health in Philippians chapter 1, but it'd be much better, far better, to go and be with Christ. So I guess Paul wasn't too faithful because he's got all kinds. That's ridiculous. And wealthy? He promises wealth? Well, then we got problems with a widow woman that only gave two mites, and we got a problem with Lazarus who was out there starving to death with all kinds of physical problems. But when you get to the end of that chapter, he's the one being comforted in Abraham's bosom, obviously. Health and wealth doctrine is so far from the truth that it isn't even funny. We don't live for the things which we can see. But Paul told us in the letter to 2 Corinthians, but in the things that you cannot see, spiritual things. Sometimes people that are in the worst situation physically are the strongest people you'll ever meet spiritually. I won't even mention her name, but yeah, I will. I'm going to call her Sister Joseph, Mary, Jerry Joseph's wife. I was talking to her, and she'd been dealing with cancer, and uh, but she has put some of the greatest posts on There's not a whole lot, there's a few, but not a whole lot of people that uh, on my Facebook that I'm friend with that I just can't hardly wait to see their posts whenever they're up, but she's one of them. I'm telling you, her posts are... And I was talking to her about that. She says, well, Kimberly, there's a lot of things I can't do anymore, but that's something I can do. And I said, man... I said, I, you lift me up so many times, and I repost her stuff sometimes, but you think about that. And she talked about, you know, if I've learned one thing through all of this, and she just got to live one day at a time, because you never know if you got tomorrow. It's easy to preach that. It's hard to live that, isn't it? We got today. I don't know about tomorrow. Sometimes physical calamity ha happens, and you, it's looking you right in the face, and it becomes much more real. You know, we even talked about, you know, when you're young, you think you'll live forever. Do you know, I look at the age of everyone in here, you know, I've done funerals for people, everybody's age in this room, and I'm watching. There's no promise of tomorrow you've got today. So we have to think about where we started here. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready for what the Lord has given us. And we've got to be ready to remind people. One last passage, and it's yours. We'll lock this up. Uh, go with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. Therefore, I will be always be ready to remind you of these things. Isn't that one of the greatest things a brother or sister in Christ could tell us? This is what God says. This is what the Bible says. And I'm going to always be ready to remind you. Wow. Always ready to remind. I think about that today. I think about that. Here we are on the first day of the week. Some of you, 
because of uncontrols of an accident on a road, one isn't even still here yet, she's in the parking lot on 44, I-44 parking lot. She wishes she would here. She's here all the time. Can't control everything. Pray for those people. But then there's people who aren't here. Sometimes they're not here because of sickness and illness and I mean, this and this, but sometimes we don't know why people. You know, one of the greatest things we can do is just remind people how much we miss them. Just remind people of how much we care. That does take a little effort on our part, doesn't it, to remind people? You know, when you were a little kid growing up, if you were like me, did your mama ever have to remind you of some things? Oh, yeah, sometimes she reminded me in speech, sometimes she reminded me on my backside. She reminds you. And we need to be reminded of what this is. So as we looked at today, remember, there's no government in this planet that's in place that God didn't put there. Now, I don't always know why he put it there. I can't always reason all that, but God put them there. And we have a, re a responsibility to submit to that unless it's contrary to God's law. And we have a responsibility to remember who we are and to be ready for every good work. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to say before we sing this song. You know why sometimes we're not ready for good works? Because we're involved in too many lousy works. We've got to remember what's good and be involved in it. If you're here today and you need to respond to the gospel by confessing faith in Jesus, repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, well, just like this says, what can wash away your sins? I'm telling you, that's right. Nothing but the blood of Christ and it's done in the watery grave of baptism. And if you're a Christian who's been baptized but have went astray, fix that today. You're in worse condition than anybody in the room. And maybe you're just dealing with some struggles and you need prayers for strength. If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.